Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton, and this is the first recording of 2022. So I hope you all had a wonderful holiday and you're approaching the new year with excitement for what's possible for your next chapter. So today we're talking about midlife awakening, as we do on most of the episodes that we cover here. But today we are talking with Laura Friedman Williams, who wrote a book called Available, which is a memoir of sex and dating after marriage. The perspective of the book is after her 22-year marriage ending and how she discovered herself in the process that unfolded after. So welcome, Laura. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be an old chick who knows shit. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about kind of what your life was like leading up to the end of your marriage and like kind of how did that all transpire? I would say my life was really like nice. It was very steady and safe. And for me, it was like I was in my life exactly where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I had been with my husband since we were 20 years old in college. We got married when we were 25, about after he finished graduate school. I had three children, and one the eldest one was about to graduate from high school, and the youngest one was about seven years old. So we were, you know, it was a busy, it was a busy house with a lot of moving parts. I was a stay-at-home mom, and I loved my role as a stay-at-home mom. I felt really fulfilled. I did a lot of volunteer work in the kids' schools. I had like long ago made my peace with giving up my career to be home with my kids, and I felt very felt very secure in the path that I was on. And I sort of expected as the years went on, I had a vision for myself and it was more of the same, you know, Mm. with slight evolutions like this one will go to college and then she'll come home and then my son will go to college. And then we'll, you know, we just sort of moved into like our, what I'll call our forever home. You know, we'd moved into a new apartment and renovated it. It was exactly what we wanted. So I felt like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be in my midlife. I'm 47 Mm. and I've achieved this sort of inner peace and stability mm-hmm. and created this really beautiful family. Um, that's pretty much, you know, all that I'd wanted. So how does that then unfold? And and, and I'm going to come back to this because I think it's super interesting that you, you know, felt at peace with your life and you were kind of, you know, enjoying where you were at because so many of the stories that I hear about midlife discontent it's starting like way back when and kind of niggling, you know, beneath the surface, but that wasn't your experience. No. And I don't want to also sugarcoat. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not to say that my marriage was perfect or that motherhood was like completely fulfilling all the time, right? There are bubbles of discontent under the surface. You know, I felt being with my husband for so many years, there were a lot of things that we disagreed about and we argued and bickered all the time. And sometimes like he had a million habits that drove me insane. Um, You know, I fixated on obsessively, like if only I could get him to stop eating grapefruit the way he ate it or like drinking coffee out of multiple mugs in the morning, you know, that my life would like really improve. And, And also mothering, you know, it was hard. Um, You know, the kids were really demanding. There was a lot going on in their lives. So there were things that I felt were hard, but I accepted it. And that's Mm -hmm. when I say I felt at peace with it because I thought, Mm -hmm. well, this what I thought marriage was going to be like an endless series of like moments of feeling like on Monday, I love my husband, but by Tuesday, I'm ready to murder him. And maybe by next week, I'll love him again. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. You know, there's right. enough upsides to make this work. It never occurred to me that it it wouldn't be there. So right. it's I, and clearly, uh, what's interesting about it is that I really was very happy with my life. I remember actually feeling sometimes that I would walk around and feel like I'm happy. This is a good life. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of friends. I had a structure and a routine I liked, and that felt meaningful enough to me. And clearly, it didn't to my husband. 
which was like such a rude awakening for me. And so I get what you're saying about people feeling this like roiling of midlife, of feeling like this is not where I'm supposed to be. Because even though I felt I was exactly where I was supposed to be, he couldn't get away fast enough. Take us through kind of you discovering your husband's affair and how that unfolded for you and kind of the impact that it had on you. Yeah, it was pretty devastating and completely unexpected. I am a very, very trusting person. And I, I was never jealous, even when we were young and unmarried and, you know, he'd work crazy hours and there were no cell phones. I couldn't reach him for, you know, sometimes like two days at a time. I never worried that he was with somebody else. I just mm. don't have that, like that disposition to being envious or worried that I felt so loved by him that it never occurred to me he, he would share his love with somebody else. So, you know, we're 27 years into this marriage or relationship, 22 years since the marriage. And I sort of, sort of over a period of a few months started to feel really very strong distance from him that I had never felt before. And it was alarming. It was, I felt very out of sorts. It felt like something was really wrong with our relationship. The feeling I was getting from him was just off. And there was a lot going on in our lives at the time um, with our family, health issues. So I just chalked it up to that. And But I kept asking him, is everything okay? Is something going on? And it was like, no, no, work is super stressful. It'll be fine. It's fine. He just kept like, right. you know. And one day we had, had this terrible fight and he, he couldn't move on, which was so unlike him. He was always the biggest mover on her. And I said, what is going on with you? And he said, I, I don't know, Laura, I'm just, I'm not happy. And I was like, okay, you're not happy like right this minute? And he said, no, I'm just not happy. And I was so shocked, like happiness. We've got busy lives. There's a million things going on. Happy? Like, okay, so you're not happy. Maybe next week you'll feel happy. And that was really for me, sort of the end of the conversation. He was already, of course, in the midst of having an affair. He had fallen in love with another woman. He it had been a few months. So this sort of unhappiness kept going. You know, I would say it sort of permeated our home for enough weeks that I felt like something is so off here. I can feel it. He's never going to tell me what it is because I keep asking and he's not telling me. And now I'm sort of left to my own devices. And so I, I looked on his phone and there, and that's how I found out about the affair. Mm. I found, I found texts between him and the woman that he was having a relationship with. And wow. that was like, I don't know, like a gut punch, uh, overturning of life, a train wreck. I mean, you name something that shocks you out of your system and that's what it was. I, I didn't ever imagine such a, an outcome would happen to me. And I asked him to leave right away. I couldn't look at him. I couldn't bear his presence. Right. I was just, I don't even know what I felt. I just felt shocked. And he did leave within 48 hours, he was gone. And in the following weeks, really what happened was that I had to manage our children. And so I didn't have much time or space to even feel whatever I was feeling. I was just mm -hmm. kind of band-aid, you know, putting band-aid right. on all of them. So it took me some time to sort of get my bearings and understand what was happening. And we, you know, we went to couples therapy. It was heartbreaking for me to understand it wasn't that he had slept with another woman that was so heartbreaking for me. I mean, that wasn't fun, but yeah. uh, what was really heartbreaking for me was understanding that we perceived our lives so differently. Mm. That we had what I thought was this really beautiful, stable, like this was the goal. We have the goal. Right. And it wasn't for him. It wasn't enough. And that was the heartbreaking part for me. Right. How is it possible that this life is for me? full. And for him, it's not. Right. I couldn't recover from that. I couldn't want him back after that. I just felt to me like, yeah. if I'm not enough, if this is not enough, then you need something totally different. And wow. maybe I could do, you know, maybe what I thought was enough, it was, and now it's not, it's not going to be again. Right. So that was, you know, the, it sort of informed the next decisions that we made about not staying together. Um, mm -hmm. And we never, we never did, you know, after he, that was a Friday night, I found out he moved out on Sunday evening and that was it. We never lived together again. Mm. So, you know, you've had what you call your kind of stable life or your foundation rocked, right? So, you know, now you're kind of in triage mode, just kind of going through the holding the pieces together that you can hold together with your kids. 
what's the next step for you? You know, when you're kind of like, you're trying to hold it together, like, how do you decide, okay, I now need to start like looking after myself and like digging into, okay, what do I really want kind of thing? Like, how do you navigate through that? I mean, it is such a good question. I think it's like the million dollar question because I think that for women or men, you know, anybody going through Mm -hmm. a really traumatic period in their lives and, you know, in midlife when you sort of have so much behind you, but still so much ahead of you, that question of how do you change course? How do you figure out when and then how do you do it? I didn't think about it that way. I wasn't at all, there was no plotting or planning. There was no strategy. Mm. I think what happened for me more was I was surviving, right? Those Mm. first months, I was just surviving. It was a matter of getting the kids fed as best I could, packing lunches, getting them off to school, crying to my friends, you know, just getting through the day and, and supporting my children as best I could, going to couples therapy. It was like, it was just de- one day at a time, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, let's stop the bleeding here. And then the bleeding is going to start again tomorrow. Right. And I guess the minute I came up for air, it was summer. It was about five, six months later. It was summer. And I felt like it was like the first time there was a night where it was the first time I felt sort of like a little bit of calm inside, mm-hmm. a little bit of peace enough to think, where am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? And if I don't go anywhere, does that mean I am stuck here forever? And that oh. scared me more than moving. You know, right? <laughs> it is very scary to try to move forward, but it's it also is. very scary to stay in the same place when mm-hmm. you're girl. Yeah. And so that was really for me. It was like I'll say like a, a real epiphany that I had. This real epiphany where I I was home in our country home. Uh, summer house that I was, we were in together for the night because my ex-husband had come to be with our youngest daughter and they were doing their thing. And I was sort of stuck in the house and I trapped myself in my bedroom because I didn't want to see him. I couldn't, I still couldn't look at him. I couldn't interact with him. And I, so I felt like, okay, well, I have to just stay in my room because he's on for the night, you know, right. and I'm going to stay in here. And as I sat there, I just thought, what am I going to do now? Like, this is my life now. I sit alone right. in rooms and this was my marital room. You know, this is like our, right. our bedroom and our bed and the room I had confronted him in when I found out about the affair. So much had happened in this room. Right. And I looked around and I just thought, I'll die here. I'll just die here. Like the old me is gone. If I don't find a new me, then this is where I am. And I, um, so I decided I was going to go out. I just decided I'm going to see what it looks like to be a single woman out in the world. I'm just going to, I just want to see like, what mm. is this, what does such a vision look like if it was a show and I was right. turning the show on for the night, what would the episode appear to be? And I got myself dressed and put on some makeup and put on some stuff that smelled nice. And I drove myself into the small town where, you know, that's near our house. And I went to a bar by myself and I had a drink and then I met somebody, I met a man but I, I was really like a mission, like an anthropological mission of like, I'm going, I'm going to see how, what the people do on a Saturday night who right. are marriages and about to put the kids to bed. How, how, what does that look like? Right. Um, and it was a surprise to me what it looked like. It was, it'd been a long time. I mean, that is so brave of you to do that because, you know, for so my situation was not the same, but it's so easy to kind of just curl into a ball and lick your wounds, knowing that you should probably do something different, but like finding that, like that motivation, like that call to action, that enough that gets you to just get up and do it. So what you did was incredibly brave. And I love how you kind of almost separated yourself from it and calling it like an anthropological experiment, right? Like you're almost like watching yourself doing the thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I have this a lot where I think, you know, like an, I always call it like an outer body experience, which is not, not like a psychic sense, but sort of like you almost can leave yourself and watch yourself from afar. And so mm-hmm. it's like your body is there and your body's going through the motions, but it's such an uncomfortable situation for you or awkward or embarrassing or scary that your mind is like sort of watching from above. I always remember these feelings like when my kids would get hurt in the playground and they would be really hurt and like a little scary. It was scary to look at them 
you know, mm-hmm. in their, mm-hmm. um, you know, like missing a tooth or blood. Right. I would get like super calm and like very Zen because it was like, I was only the body helping the child at that point. Like whatever emotions I had, there was no room for them. There was no room for fear, right? It was just triage. And right. so that was a little bit how I felt. It was felt so extreme to me. Like I thought I was here. I was a, you know, a 40 something woman who had given birth three times. I thought I would be married forever. I wanted to be married forever. I had no interest in dating or, you know, being a divorcee. I didn't want any of it. I wanted my old life back, but I wasn't willing to say, well, if I can't have my old life, then I'm just going to give up. You know, I, I, yeah. I guess the fear, it was brave. I know it was brave, but I mean, sometimes I thought it would have been brave just to sit in the room with the door closed and also just feel the pain. You know, that's right. brave. Too. Right. That's yeah. brave too. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think people who can sit with grief and really feel it, you know, that's, that is very brave. Yeah. I mean, there is no right or wrong in any situation. I mean, we all experience what we experience in the way that we experiencing it. But like I found your story, the, the way that you described it as kind of being separate from yourself, just so interesting because sometimes that's what we need to do just to like jump over the hurdle or else you could stay stuck for a very, very long time. Yeah. So take us through then that first night experience in the bar. Well, so I, I really was, I'll say a fish out of water in that bar because I hadn't, as I said, I didn't have a plan. There was no like strategy. It wasn't like I'd been scoping out bars and was like, oh, that's going to be the bar I'm going to go to. And this is how it's done. I really just walked in and thought, uh, I'll just, I guess this is how you do it. You just find people. But I walked in and most people were there together. You know, there were couples. Mm-hmm. And I guess that like I'd chosen this venue. It was a very cool place. It was a music venue. But most people were very elderly. <laughs> like It was like a very white haired crowd. Right. So I walked in and I sort of laughed immediately. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> right. Everyone here is old. They're all in couples. Uh, it was like my parents scene. You know, I just felt like this is just so embarrassing that I'm here. And I sat at the bar by myself and I, ha- I was like, this is just so awkward. I don't know what I'll do with myself. But I guess I just sat and I looked around. I eavesdropped on conversations and I looked around. And eventually this very handsome man came in and I like spied on him for a while to see if somebody was going to join him. He was with a big crowd, but there was no woman that was clearly attached to him. And I just kind of made my presence known to him. So he would start talking to me and it it worked, but awkwardly, you know, definitely awkwardly, um, which I wrote about in the book, you know, making this big, like I like got off my chair and dragged it away. Like I made this like big noise out of, you know, not being in his way. And then it was like, oh, sorry, sorry that I was crowding you. And then of course, like now I'm like, well, now I'm further away. So now what do I do? Because I'm sitting here by myself and far away from anybody. Now I'm just adrift at sea at this bar. Yeah. I mean, even the bartenders just looked so pained for me. It was like, it was just so sad. I could see how sad it was. If there was no one who could rescue me. Right, right. And eventually he, you know, the guy, the man, this man like found me again and started talking to me. And we ended up having like a really, you know, nice conversation and we really got deep in it. He, he was, his wife had died and he had a teenage daughter. And I, I sort of pretended like this was my regular milieu. Like, oh, I'm, you know, I come here on Saturday nights. My husband has the kids and I'm separated and I just, you know, do my own thing. And we kept talking and we decided we would go somewhere else where we could talk more freely. And so we walked over to a restaurant around the corner and I basically propositioned him at that point. I I guess I was so out of body, out of mind that it was like, I I just felt like I could do anything. So when he asked me if I wanted to go in and get something to eat, I said, no. And are you really that hungry? And then he (laughs) got my gist of it and he kissed me and we went back to his hotel. So that was like an awakening for me, obviously sexually. You know, this right. is the first man I'm sleeping with in 27 years. He's not my husband. This is the first man who's seen my body since right. I was 20 years old. It's been through quite a bit in those 27 years. Right. But also for me emotionally, just to say, like, you did that. No, nobody did that for mm. you. You did that all by yourself. You can, you can do things. You it can was do like hard things. Yeah. First, yeah. Like you can do hard things, brave things, bold things. You can be bold. I was not a bold woman but I did a very bold thing. So it was for me like a real awakening of how 
can I be myself and the best parts of myself that I love, but also embrace that I might have had this inside of me, something else inside of me the whole time. And how do mm. I let her come out? The boldness, the, the courage, the curiosity. Mm. You know, that was all, like it wasn't coming out of thin air. It, no. it had been inside of me, but I had no idea. I love that so much. Like, you know, it's like you had this experience that tapped part of you that you didn't even know was there. And then once you've like touched it, you're like, you can't like just like close the door and walk away now. Like you just can't, right? It really is like a Pandora's box. Like you've let the, or the, you know, Aladdin, like you've let the genie out of the bottle and now what are you going to do? And for me, part of what was hard was it gave me purpose and it gave me new life because it was like, well, here's something that you like. Here's something you want. You like dating. You like going out. You like Mm -hmm. attention from men. You like sex. You want more of it. And then there's like the practical question of like, okay, but you're also now like a single mom to three children. How do you get more? You always got a child on your foot. And, you know, there's just no room for dating. There's no time. There's no space. There's no emotional space. And you don't even know what you want because, you know, you're still married and haven't even told your husband definitively that you want a divorce. So all those things were happening at the same time. So I would say like, I was thrilled. I was terrified. You know, I I wanted more. I was devastated that it felt like I would never get more. Right. Parts of myself were coming alive, but I didn't know where there was space for her. And so that was the hard part for me was saying, you're not, you're not going to be the same person anymore. And you don't know who you're going to be. Get this done. I just, I got goosebumps (laughs) when you just said, and and this was just like, I love this so much. Like, this is just definitely a quotable where you said, you know, you're becoming this new person, but you don't know where she fits in. So like you have this life and then the way that you've been living. And now all of a sudden there's these new dimensions of you and you're like, okay, what, what the hell do I do with this now? Like, yeah, that's exactly. Right? And I have to figure out how to create space for it because it can't pack it away. <laughs> like again, it's like, it's here. No, it's here. And I want to celebrate her because yes. she's the survivor here. You know, she's the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm. But I also was, I felt very broken also. You know, what I think is the, the real takeaway for me from that experience mm-hmm. and, and where I am now is understanding the world is not black and white. You know, there is, it is not clear. You can have this and you can have this. You can have joy and you can have grief in the yeah. same moment. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. I was very, I'm like a very compartmentalized person, you know, and very efficient. And for me, it was like, this is good. This is bad. This needs to right. be fixed. This is broken. This is fixed. You know, I had like, everything was organized in such a way. And going through this experience, I know, okay, there has to be room for both. There are going to mm-hmm. be days where you feel totally broken and mm-hmm. there are going to be days where you are like, oh, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. Right. Both of those things can be true at the same time. Yeah. And I like one of my favorite sayings is you can hold two truths, like even opposing truths at the same time, which I think most of us have just never been taught that. Well, if you're happy, you must be happy. You can't be sad. Right. Um, And, you know, the process of self-discovery, evolution, revolution, whatever you want to call it is never I'm this one day and I'm that the next. Like there is that process, like you just said, of going back and forth between the two, you know, and figuring out like, okay, what's working from this part, what's not working from this part and kind of navigating. And all the while you're kind of moving yourself a little bit more into the new state, but it's a process like, and it's a constant discovery, right? Well, and the thing is, it doesn't end. So that is also something I am like just understanding, you know, so I wrote this book and it was about, you know, the period in this period, a one year period in my life in which I was becoming this person, you know, becoming myself, exiting my marriage, finding out what was important to me, what was valuable to me. It was very much like my finding my voice. And I wrote that book. It was published last June. So not, you know, maybe six, eight months ago and life still keeps going. 
And mm. so it's not, you know, the story that I wrote, the book that I wrote is very much my story of triumph, right? Mm. I, I, I found joy in my grief. I found sex in a dry spell. You know, I found, right. I found abundance. I found richness in my life out of what was taken from me. I realized that I wanted to define my life by what I had, not by what I had lost. Mm. And that was so important for me to keep saying like absence versus presence, half full versus half empty. You have to keep creating. You have to keep pouring into your class. Yes. Yes. And I understood that, but that doesn't end. That didn't end with the book. It didn't end with my, you know, like having this like great victory lap. It keeps right, going. Right. And so that came as a surprise to me too. Like, oh, everything's not answered and done and resolved. Like I'm tied up in a nice neat little package with a bow on it. So here it is. Yeah. <laughs> you won run one race. Guess what? There's another one. Yeah. And so it keeps going. And so this process keeps going. And it's really, and that's like that was really surprising to me. And I don't know if that's just midlife, you know, if mm-hmm. that's just the fact that we're in a place in our lives where we're constantly seeking. And we know that there could be other choices or if it's particular to my story or my personality, you know, who knows, you know, Mike, I have two out of three in college now. So I often think, well, eventually I was going to be an empty nester Mm -hmm. and maybe that would have forced some changes also, but not at this level. I don't think of this level because this was like everything I had wrapped up in my identity was really taken away from me. Yes. I think this is true of so many of our stories. And it was definitely mine where I had my entire external identity stripped from me. And then I was like, who the hell am I? And people have heard me tell this story before. But like I talk about midlife is being coming home to the most authentic version of who we are. Like this next chapter of our lives is about stripping away everything that is covering up who we really are, like the truth of who we really are. And, you know, life, the universe, like however you want to describe it, will give you the set of circumstances you need to realize that you're not living in alignment with your own truth. Mm, And it becomes very apparent to the point where you're like, okay, I have no choice. Like you said, I only have one choice to go forward. I can't go back. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's such a beautiful evolution because I mean, we often fall into life, right? Like you fall into a marriage, you fall into a career, you fall in, you know, you have kids and then that's just it. Right. And you don't even realize the little pieces of yourself that's being chopped off along the way. Right. And molded and shaped. Yeah. Yeah. Until you have that experience where you're like, OMG, like what the hell, who am I? How did I get here? (laughs) And it's it's scary because it's scary to think that you were, that that was inside of you the whole time. And right. you silenced that person or you buried her or you said, okay, you're going to go away for now because we don't have room for you. That's actually, I found really like both thrilling and terrifying that yeah. like, it wasn't like I was someone else now. It wasn't like, okay, mm. wow. You know, Laura's really changed. It was like, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as like, I came into myself. Yeah. And it was there the whole time. And how did I silence that woman? So effectively. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I love, you know, so, you know, you have this experience where you're in the bar and you meet the man and then you go on and you have all of these other experiences. I think you had like nine encounters in total. I think it was, it was 10. I stopped at 10. Or 10. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what I loved as I was reading the story, you guys, you have to read this book, like um, we'll put it in the show notes at the end. But what I loved about the story was every encounter, it was like opened up another door for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like I just was like, as I was like, I was like watching, it felt like watching you blossom Aww. with each of the stories and like the discoveries about yourself and the world and what you wanted and who you were. And I just yeah. saw it kind of unfolding with every encounter. Like, w- did it feel like that for you? Yeah. I love that you felt that. Thank you. Did it feel that way? I think in hindsight, for sure. Right. In the moment, I gave myself the freedom to discover. Mm. And so I think I had this feeling of you could do whatever you want right now. And I didn't give myself a time limit or a number, like 10. I, I didn't, my goal, I didn't have a goal per se that I was going to like stop this process of discovery, but I did have a goal, which was to sleep with as many men as I could, because I understood that I was 
doing something. I understood that I was getting right. going somewhere. I didn't understand what it meant, why it had to be through sex or sexual relationships with men. I did at least understand that I was doing something, that something was happening and that I was trying to figure out who am I? Who are these people? What do I want? What kind of relationship do I want going forward? My whole life has been defined by relationships with, with men. And is that what I want now? And if it is, how do I get it? If it's not, how do I get that? I discovered also that I was like a very sexual person that I really loved, not just sexually, but physically, sensually, that I loved mm -hmm. being touched, that I loved being held. These were not things that were a big part of my married life. And I discovered that they were very important to me and mm -hmm. that I wanted more. I just craved more constantly. I just wanted to be touched all the time and to be seen. Mm -hmm. That was another big mm -hmm. part of it was like, I felt so seen, you know, I felt like I'd become in my marriage, in hindsight, so invisible, so superfluous. And here mm. men were seeing me, really seeing every part of me and making notes about parts of my body that I'd been like, you know, for me, like I would start laughing in the beginning, they would comment on things. And I would just think like, I felt like I was in a porn movie, but then <laughs> right. I understood it was like, oh, that's really nice to be seen. It's nice to be touched. Mm. I can have this for one hour and then walk away and feel so full and Come, you know, I can go home, I can go be mother, and then I can get my time. That's all mine. It's private. It's just for me. And then I go back to my life again. Like it was this sort of fluidity of coming in and out of mm. like the momming, the divorcing, all of that. So I did feel myself blossoming. I felt myself blossoming and also just deepening my understanding of relationships and of men and of women. I was very naive. You know, my, again, my last understanding, like the last time I dated somebody, I wasn't even like a legally an adult yet. So my experiences of being with men were not like this. It wasn't like being with adult men. My experiences had all been as teen a teenager. And so I was almost stuck in time of like, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, what it looks like to be a 19 year old, you know, dating. And so you know, I had a lot of really interesting experiences with men. They weren't always great. You know, sometimes like I was with this one man who was very controlling, very jealous and possessive and controlling. And it took me a while to catch on to what was going on. And I, when I wrote about it, I realized how hopelessly naive I seemed in the process, but I really had never experienced anything like it. Nice. So I didn't recognize it. The same thing, you know, I had, I write very honestly about a very uncomfortable sexual experience I had sleeping with somebody, a man who I'd met online, who I felt it sort of lured me back to his house and we weren't really supposed to go there. And then he kind of was like, made it seem like, I don't know, I ended up sleeping with him. I didn't want to. And it was really uncomfortable, unpleasant, and a little scary. And I had to come to terms with that too. Like how mm. to protect myself, how to stand up for myself, how to say no when I didn't right. want to. I'm 47 years old and I'm just figuring that out. You know, that's a thing, something that a lot of women figure out hopefully when they're younger. I didn't have the time right. or the space to do that. So there was a lot of blossoming and learning. And as I said, I gave myself the freedom and I recognized that I had like almost insatiable curiosity. So mm. I gave myself freedom, not only to be with people and to just keep being with them, sometimes two in one night. I mean, I was like, I was going gangbusters, but also I gave myself the freedom to ask a lot of questions right. of the men I was with to try to just understand what they wanted themselves, what they thought of me, what they thought of women in general, what turned them on, everything. Yeah. And one of the things, other things that struck me as I was reading the book and I'm kind of watching this unfolding is the fact that you didn't judge the process that you were being led on. Because like, you know, sexual exploration as women, one thing is midlife women, again, something else. And generally it goes against convention mm. or what's appropriate, what's acceptable. And you were being called in that direction, call it intuitively or for whatever it was. And you just allowed yourself to go there without any judgment, without any you know, overthinking it, like, and just being yeah. led by almost by instinct. Again, I found that incredibly uh, courageous because, you know, there's probably many of us who would be like, well, I'd love to experience that, but, oh, you know, I can't really do that. What will people say? What will people think? It's not right. Right. Like there's so much attached to women and sex to, to begin yes. with. Right. Like there's so much baggage. And I, yeah. I just, I was so inspired by the fact that you judged none of it. 
you just instinctually followed, which was so beautiful again, because I often think that at this time of our lives, like our instincts, our intuition are so online, like so tapped in at that point. And our job is to listen and follow. You know, what's interesting is also, I think uh, it's really important, I think, for anybody who may be in this, you know, in a place of change in their lives to understand uh, that's not the way I always was. So I, I, it was a real change. It was a real shift. And again, I just sort of felt like I was, felt so low and, and so sad that my, you know, my happy ever after didn't last mm-hmm. and also totally perplexed. Right. You know, I would look around at other, at other relationships and friends and think, how is it possible that theirs are working and mine aren't? You know, like Mm, their mm. relationships are lasting and mine didn't. And so I was coming from this place. I felt so, felt such a loss of myself and such sadness about it that I thought, I mean, I can't lose anything more, can I? Mm. The only thing you do is gain. So I guess I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose right. by going out with people. I've nothing. I really don't. You know, there's just there's no more. There's you can't take anything else away from me. You've already taken my stability, right. my security. You know, the happy ever after I want it, it's gone. So what do I have to lose? So I don't think it's impossible for women to do it. One of the sometimes I get like DMs, you know, from women who have been through similar situations, and a few people have said to me, "Thank you for releasing me from the shame." around mm. um, having these kinds of sexual experiences. And that makes me feel so good because mm. I think there, I also attached so much shame to sex. And in fact, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I thought, you know, we don't talk about the things that we feel guilty about or we're ashamed of or where we think are wrong. You know, for the most part, we keep those things to ourselves. But if I put it all out there and I tell you, you can't judge me for sleeping with two men in one night any harsher than I'm going to judge myself. Mm-hmm. If I tell you I'm okay with it, I'm not hurting anybody in the process, and that's what I decided to do, and that's what I did at that point, mm. so be it. I'm not apologizing for it. I don't have to apologize nice. to you for it. Yeah. And so that was very important to me. You know, it's hard to, when you've always been a fairly private person, it's very hard to reveal yourself so openly, you know, to, mm-hmm. to let people see these innermost thoughts and your most private life. I mean, I'm letting people see into my bedroom, you know, and, and yeah. inside my body, practically. I mean, I just decided if you're going to tell it, you've got to tell it all. But it was really like I had grown up with so much shame around sex, shame and secrecy. Mm. And I didn't want that to be my story anymore. I felt like, you know what? I, sex became a tool for survival for me and for more than survival, it brought joy back into my Mm. life again. And so, you know, I've read so many things about, you know, people say that sex shouldn't be used as like a tool for grieving. And I don't know, I disagree. It, I, I used it and it worked for me and Mm -hmm. I owned it and I felt empowered by it. So I don't, have sex like that anymore. You know, I, I got tired physically. I just <laughs> right. got worn out. Like I eventually I knew that it was sort of I'd reached an end when I started like craving being in a bed by myself more than anything else, like being touched only by the coolness of my sheets. You know, that I was like, okay, she, you know, I had I sewed my wild oats. And I've been in a relationship for a few years with number six in the book. Right. Um, I'm, I'm still dating him. And sex is still really important to me. Sex and touch and all of that is still really important to me. And I'm still really open to being with other people and to new experiences. But I don't know. I think when you're down and out in your life and you find a tool that works for you, don't let anybody tell you that it's not okay, whether it's sex or exercising or, I mean, unless it's harmful, unless it's self-harm, then it's no good. But if it's not harming you and, and actually it's keeping you alive and possibly happy, then, you know, don't apologize for it. You don't have to apologize to anybody. And the other part was, you know, trusting yourself to know what was right for you, right? Like, you know, other than like your one experience where you felt a little coerced, like you went in openly and willingly trusting that this was the right thing, right? Like for whatever, you know, to manage grief or, you know, to find joy or whatever that is. And I think also that is an act of bravery, just as women trusting ourselves, especially when it comes to sex, because there's so much taboo around it. So again, I, I mean, I think it was 
the way you wrote the book was so honest and raw and vulnerable. Like it was so, it was such a refreshing read. And like I said, I was kind of watching this unfolding um, in, in a beautiful story of your discovery. It's like, I highly recommend this book. Um, whether, you know, sex is part of your journey or not part of your journey. Like for me, I guess just kept taking away, you know, how much you just followed your own instinct and you, you know, kept questioning. And like you said, you had insatiable curiosity and you just were so open about it all that it was really, really inspiring to read. So thank you for writing the, the way that you did. Thank you. Really appreciate that. I struggled a lot with how much to say and how to say it. Yeah. Um, imagine. It seemed like a great idea at the time, you know, when I wrote the proposal, then I sat down to write it and was like, oh boy, like it's hard to write about sex, you know, and it's hard to get out of your head so that you're not thinking, well, who's going to read this? Like, I need to edit this a little in case my mom reads it or my kids or my ex-husband. So eventually I had to just get rid of all those voices and just write it the way I wanted to write it. And again, be unapologetic about it. Because I think that one of the great things that we realize when we're in our midlives is we owe ourselves more than we owe anybody else. Mm. And my children, I would wrap them into that bundle. I owe, I feel I owe my children also. Yeah. They're my that they're the one the one group of people I would say I feel I brought them here into this world and I do owe them. You know, and I think like for them, for one of the three, it was very hard that I was writing this book. She was not crazy about how much I was revealing and how open I was. And she found it very embarrassing and kind of unseemly. Like these are private things that you should keep private. And so I had to really grapple with how can I be a good mom and Mm. right thing by her without silencing myself. Mm. Um, And that was really hard because at the end of the day, feeling beholden, I do hold, I never, I guess in my marriage, I was probably last in line. You know, I think like when people say, are you the main character or the supporting actor in your life? I had definitely been the supporting actor right. in my family. Um, I was there to support everybody else. And I was like the side, you know, it was on the side and now I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. now I'm number one in my life. And I share that space with my children and make sure that they're, they get what they need from me. And that I honor and validate what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. But I am my own main character now. I don't want to sideline myself again. And I don't know, you know, I don't, and I don't know what's next. <laughs> I don't know, you know, right. and that, again, it's terrifying and it's thrilling. It's, yeah. it's really amazing not to know and to just trust. I, again, this is where I think midlife is very like exciting place to be mm-hmm. is that I, from experience, know that I don't know and that it's okay. Yeah. You know, when I was yeah. 20, I needed a husband yeah. and kids. I right. wanted it. I needed it. And that was my eyes were on the prize. I was very proud of myself for snagging a man so young that I didn't have to worry about it down the line. You know, I had my first baby when I was 29. I had my third baby at 40. I was on, I had a mission and a strategy and I did it. And now I understand that it could all be taken away from you tomorrow. Everything can be upended. And so what do you have? You have that voice inside of yourself that is going to guide you. And now I know that. Now I know who she is. And and she keeps surprising me. I love um, that. You know, she sometimes scares me. (laughs) (laughs) You need to be a little bit scared or else you're not doing it right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. So what do you think, And this was the other question that kind of struck me as I ended the book. I was like, what would have happened if you hadn't discovered your husband's affair? Like, like who would you have been? I mean, and I know it's a difficult question to to answer, but like any, do you ever think about that? No. And actually, this is such an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that. I thought you were going to ask me what would have happened if that man hadn't walked into the bar that night. And that I've been asked. Nobody's ever asked me the question of what would have happened. That's really interesting. I'm pretty certain that nothing would have happened. Our lives just would have kept going. And, you know, I would have stayed settled in my life as the supporting actor. I would have mothered my kids the best I could. I would have continued supporting my husband. I would have probably on a deep level felt somewhat unfulfilled, but I would have said, that's just the way it goes. These are the compromises you make in your life. And you have more than you don't have. You, You have a lot. You have an embarrassment of riches, actually. Three healthy children, you know, financial security. And so don't, you don't rock a boat. You don't ask for more. 
you take what you have and you make it complete. And so I don't think anything would have happened. I never would have walked away from my marriage. Not ever. It would never have occurred to me to do such a thing. And in fact, when when I finally decided, my husband has sort of left it in my court. Like he sort of made it me feel like he wanted to be, get back together. He just wanted the relationship to be very different. And that the ball was sort of in my court, whether or not I wanted that. And after maybe eight months or so, I decided like I couldn't, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I told him that I wanted to get divorced. And he was kind of just resigned to it. And I thought maybe he'd fight for me. You know, maybe he'd be like, no, this is, you know, we, I'm going to really, we're going to turn things around. But he didn't. He was sort of like, okay, well, if that's what you want. And I thought, okay, well, then I guess that makes it easy. And we were both felt sort of sad. And then he got very angry at me. And he said, you know, this is exactly why I had the affair to get out of the marriage, because I knew that there was no way to end this marriage unless I had an affair. I had to blow it up. Mm. He never would have left it. Ouch. And that was like amongst the many painful truths that were said to me. From the night I found out about the affair, you know, through the next four years, that probably stands out as the worst, but it was true. It was true. I never would have left that marriage. It would never have occurred to me. I wouldn't have allowed it. I my having my family cohesive was the most important thing to me. And I didn't, I felt that it was selfish to ask for more than what I had. And I felt it was selfish of him to want more. Mm. So yeah, that I think nothing would have happened is the answer. I would have stayed married. And interesting. Um, whether I ever would have realized how that I was actually quite unfulfilled. I, I don't know if I ever would have given myself the space or the freedom to feel that way. I just don't know. And this is where I said before, and even on my hardest days, I try to remind myself that the affair was a gift because I would not have left. You know, the day my husband came to me and said, Laura, I'm not happy. I was like, okay, great. So you're not happy, you know? And I'll be happy all the time. That was the end of it for me. So there really was no other way out. I was not going to let my marriage end. If he came to me and just said, I'm unhappy and I'm leaving, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, you're not going anywhere, you know? And like, can you put your laundry away, by the way? You know, there was no room for that for me, for that kind of shift. So it had to be something massive. It had to be a bomb. And he knew me well enough to know that. And so in many ways, I'm grateful for it because I'm happy I get the second chance. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it any other way. I don't want to go back to the life I had. doesn't mean I don't miss it. I don't want to go back to it. But like you said, once you've opened that door, you cannot close it again. You cannot go back. And this is, you know, I love the way the world, the universe works in that, like, what is it they say, you know? the universe will give you a poke and then they'll give you a nudge. And then if you would need it, you'll get a brick in the head. And (laughs) and sometimes you need the brick in the head to like jar you out of that. Holy shit. There's actually more, there's more to me. There's more to this life. There's more. I mean, and it was that way for me, right? Like, and I had this niggling for like years and years and years, right. You know, after I found myself like basically in the space of leading up to my 50th birthday, divorced, unemployed, empty nester and bedridden with a stress-related illness, which meant basically I couldn't live my life. I couldn't live my life the way I had been um, living it. And I had to come to terms with it. Oh my God. Um, how long did that go on for? It probably was another year of me kind of doing the, what the hell, who am I? What do I want? Like I had never, ever stopped long enough in my own life from, you know, I did all the things, go to school, get good grades, you know, get a good job, work your way up the corporate ladder, you know, find a suitable husband, have a family, do all the things. And nowhere along the way did I go, wait a minute, hmm, is this actually what I want? Until when I was like, you know, my life stopped me short and said, no, no, sister, we're not doing that story anymore. There's another story over here that you need to live. But it took that being stopped in my tracks for me to actually then consider, wait a minute, there is a whole pile of things that I want that I have yet to explore. It must be horrifying when you realize that to do that, you're going to have to upend everything in your life. And very much like you, if you had said to me, okay, you need to drop everything because there's, I'd be like, hell no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. This is a great little path I got going on here. And then one by one pieces of it just fell off. Right. And yeah. And it, but I like you, I'm so grateful for that experience because it opened the door to parts of me that I didn't even know existed. It's not like that. I had met them once and forgot them. I literally didn't know they were there. It's amazing, isn't it? Like what yeah. is inside that you don't even yeah. have access to? 
I mean, I'm a very self-aware person, I think, exactly. you know, and yet there's so much. And I think it's also that suppression, you know, as you're pointing mm-hmm. out, like you have these feelings of like something's not quite right. And yet in order to have the life you're having, you have to suppress those feelings. Of course. Um, I have a lot of, you know, in the, in, one of the reasons why I was able to forgive my husband was because I felt a lot of sympathy for him in many ways that he had those feelings Mm-hmm. And that he had those feelings of this is not what I want. This is not the life I want to be having now. And I have to do something really dramatic. And he must have been suppressing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it hurt me, but I, but there was also a part of me that understood because right. I had been suppressing things too. I just hadn't known it. And when yeah. I see this in other friends of mine now, like as friends are exiting marriages and I do have many friends who since you know, my split have exited their marriages and they're taking the initiative to do it. And I'm shocked. Yeah. Why would you walk away? You know, why would you right. walk back to anything? But they're saying like, I just can't believe that this is the next 50 years. Like I can't exactly. believe that all that there is. I can't accept that. Yes. And like, I'm still blown away by that because I don't think I would have gotten there on my own. It was yeah. forced on me. Well, who knows? Maybe we both would have, right? Like, right, maybe, maybe yeah. we don't know, but this was the path we were given and like, yeah, so much learning and growth along the way. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's like, you don't, you just can't always see what's coming. And, you know, sometimes the worst thing in the world turns out to be a yes. gift. Truly. Yes. yes. Some of the best gifts come in the ugliest packages. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. true. So true. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. Everybody who's listening, I encourage you to get this book. It's called Available. And we'll make sure that we put the link in the show notes. It's such a beautiful story, like a beautiful unfolding, as I mentioned. And I commend your bravery, your honesty, and your vulnerability for letting us into your life so that we can all learn and be inspired from your journey. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Everybody, thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.